bad. Has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Uh, we have a returning guest, Coach Goodman. Um, I mean, since since our last episode, it's been like two. In reality, it's been about two weeks since we filmed our last one. I don't know how long in between this, maybe three or four weeks. Um, but I, I appreciate having Coach Goodman on. He's a strength and speed coordinator at John Glenn uh, up there in Michigan. Coach, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Now, I do have a curious question before we start because – I was in a weight room the other day uh, at a school visiting somebody and no kids were in there and there were, um, how do I want to phrase this? I will just say there were bars and plates still on the racks. There was a, oh man! I don't know. I get better. Yeah. There, there was a deadlift station set up with three plates on each side. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, there. I mean, just theoretically, like I don't, and I'm not even asking what you would do. If your like high school coach came in and saw that, what would the reaction have been? Just that, just out of curiosity. I don't know. That's a that's a hard question because my high school coaches, at least the head coach, probably wouldn't have been in the weight room that much because he wasn't that involved. But the assistant coach would have been pretty mad. Okay. I I I made the comment. I, I was like, my high school head coach, because was also our, our he's um, health and PE certified, so he ran yeah. the weight room. Like, because we had a strength training class. Yeah. Like, I had four. I had three three years, both semesters. Like the only year I didn't have was my freshman year, and that's just because they didn't have any room. Right. Um, of strength training. So like, I mean, one of the first things you learn is one how to properly put weight on a bar. Yeah. <laughs> and then putting stuff away. So like I started twitching and I was not the only person in that room that was slightly twitching. Like <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know. It's just me. Like, and I, I'm assuming like, I, I think every strength coach has a different way of setting up their weight room. And we were talking, yeah. we were just talking about that. Like I just took a new job officially and um, me and my staff are looking and talking to our athletic director and our super and our, um, principle how to reorganize it so it's more functional like yeah didn't even warm up in there right now like we yeah. go in the hallway to warm up and to me that's like i get you might not be able to do everything in your weight room like depending on the size like i've been in some small weight room but you yeah. should be able to for the most part warm up and do it so like so the first thing i'll ask you is how long did it take you to because i mean to get the weight room set up to the way that you wanted to get it set up as uh still not still not set up the, per the way that we would like to have it set up. 
uh, but it's better. Uh, we got rid of a lot of the machines that like mostly were like PE type stuff, like the, the leg presses and the neck machines and the stuff that like we're not going to use every day or just take up space. Like there's other implements we can use to accomplish that same goal. Um, but our weight room actually is much more full now. So I don't know if I told you, so we have that big shipment of all that ceramics equipment. We got that about a month or two ago, eh, maybe like two months ago. Um, and that takes up like a large portion. Like we have six Sorenix racks right in the middle. And then we have another four right next to us. We have 10 racks in the cage. And then we have our other like second room right next to it that also has like three, three racks in it. Um, so we have a bunch of stuff like everywhere, but I am lucky because we have like a 10 or 15 yard, like turf piece right outside of the cage. And then we have like a, probably about a 35 yard kind of gateway all the way. Cause we're right next to the basketball court. So like behind the basketball courts, about 30 some yards. And then actually, since it's not basketball season where we can go right down to the basketball court and use that area to run our flies and that kind of stuff. Um, it makes it hard for forties kind of the way it's set up. So we can't really run forties unless we go right outside, but I got a pretty nice setup. I mean, I'm not going to complain. It's, it's pretty nice. Like, and we'll, we'll talk programming as we go through here. Yeah. I think, I think we kind of like glossed on it last yeah. time. It's something we really didn't get to. And it's something I'm asking more coaches about is how yeah. they program. And again, everybody has a different mythology towards um, their lifting programs. Some are like hardcore feed the cats. Like yeah. that's in that philosophy. Some are very like I got my try. I'm in halfway done with triphasic training. That are hundred percent of that. Some have taken bits and pieces from a variety of areas. Yeah. Um, and like again, so there's there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, and depending on your athletes and your resources, it works depending in varying degrees. And I know you have a lot of success. We were talking about numbers before we came on. Um, but bef before we kind of get to the programming piece, I didn't like you just mentioned running 10s and 40s there how how often do you run your 10s and 40s throughout the week or the month or like i know you test about every what was it, every like four weeks is your official testing correct yeah yeah like it's like it's like four to four to six weeks sometimes a little more it just depends on like breaks and that kind of stuff that's like our it's like our strength testing like that's what we want our mr kids um but like our speed stuff we're testing like every day or every week our jumps are constantly because we're it's training is testing so we're we're testing on the mat. So like every time we jump, it's like a test for us. Um, so yeah, we run, we're not really running many 10 yard dashes anymore since like it's getting nicer out and like teams are outside. So we have more room. So it's mostly like flies, um, flies, twenties and thirties. Um, once it's really nice out, I can walk right outside and set up forties or, um, give our kids more lead in with the flies. Um, we run usually about twice a week, um sometimes a little more sometimes it's like once a week there's been times we don't run the entire week just because of things going on outside of our control um but two to three times a week is how much we try to sprint um we just we jump four times a week so we still are we're still building acceleration in the weight room um so yeah i try i try to lately i've been trying to run more flies just because we're, we're building so much acceleration in the weight room through lifting weights and jumping that i think it's it's a, probably a little redundant to run acceleration starts when we're already doing so much stuff like that in the weight room, we probably need more flies. Um, and I've talked to some of my close friends and some of my, you know, mentors about that kind of stuff and kind of came to the conclusion we need more flies in our training and less like tens and twenties. So we've kind of moved a little bit away from the tens. We still like our twenties, um, but flies, flies really what a lot of what we're running right now. 
and I, and like again, I think I think that's become a lot more prevalent with the prevalence of feed the cats. I think that's. Yeah. A, I mean, I think people become more aware of it. Like like I said last time, and, and I say this every time I talk to strength coaches, I think kind of like helmets have evolved drastically just in the past ten years. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's pretty much a thirty year period where the helmet didn't change. So it's yeah. you can make the argument. Ten year past ten years, it's night and day. I think strength training for especially high school and college athletics has massively changed or evolved and so that's where you get a lot more of the the running and where it's not just we're conditioning our athletes and running let's run around the track 17 times or whatever so with that like i've always and i've been curious and because like i know like tony holler doesn't specifically state this is how many you run like how do you decide how to um set wise and rep wise in terms of the tens and so forth or just running in general, how do you typically load that and program that? Because I think that's always an interesting area that, okay, what's too much, what's too little? Yeah. How do you get a good number? Like, what? how do you kind of calculate and program that? Yeah, so I think you have to look at training in, like, at least a weekly fashion, if not more like a monthly or yearly fashion. So you need to pretty much look at how much you're going to accumulate every day. So same thing with strength training, right? Like, if you plan on squatting your kids twice a week or three times a week, you're going to space that out. You're not going to hammer them with 10 sets of squats in a day. You might space that out into multiple sessions. Same thing for running, depending on how often you're going to run is going to decide how much volume you can do per session um, based off your frequency and also the intensities you're touching. Um, so we kind of decided that at least I decided that, you know, two to three times a week is how much we we're going to sprint because I've seen so much success with frequency. Um, I always preach it. Uh, and high intensity frequent exposures is the true driver of all um, performance in the high school level. They need tons of frequent exposure to high intensities. That means, you know, lifting weights heavy and often. That means sprinting fast and often, jumping high and often. Um, you're not going to build a race horse by making them run laps. You're not going to build a, a high jumper by making them do 10 box jumps in a row. Um, just like you're not building a strong athlete, making them do sets of 20 on the squat. Um so the way I'm viewing is, is that I'm going to take a high, high frequency approach, um, high intensity. We're going to make every single rep we do count. Every rep is going to be high quality. Um, so I usually will give my kids anywhere from like three to five sprints in a day. Everything is ran in a laser. So every time is a test. Um, I have it set up in that way is that everything that we do is going to be measured. So then the intent is always there. Um, if kids are running against each other, they don't want to lose. They don't want to have a bad time. My kids know what times are good and bad. So like when they see a kid run a really fast time, you know, the kids, the kids go crazy or like with the verticals, you know, so everybody wants to try to one up each other. And it's kind of like that leaderboard thing, that competitiveness. Uh, so we don't need very much work to get the, the, um, the adaptations I'm looking for. So like three to five runs is all they need. And then we'll go and jump and lift. So we don't need much because we're, we're doing it so frequently. Um, like I said, we sprint two to three times a week and, and the frequency is there. The intensity is always there because we measure everything. Um, so I would never want to overrun my kids in a session. Never want to give them 10 plus runs in a session. Cause you also have to think is that my kids are also jumping every session and we're lifting. So we can't, there's this training economy, right? Like we can only spend so much money in certain places. Where are we going to spend our money at first? So we we'll always jump. 
always sprint and our, we're always going to do our main lift. Like those are our big bang for your buck things we're doing. We're not only developing absolute force, we're developing uh, that rapid display of force. We're developing acceleration with the jumping. We're developing max V with the sprinting. We're developing absolute force or strength speed, however you want to say that um, with, with our lifting. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of of the opinion that you probably need to space things out a little bit more. You probably need to balance kind of that training out. If we spend so much time running, we aren't going to have the same amount of money or energy to, to really get strong in a session. So I think that's where some coaches fall short. Some coaches are lifting too much. They're not making any time to sprint or jump. Some coaches are running too much and not really making that time to lift. Um, there needs to be kind of that balance there based off, obviously how many kids you have like logistics wise, but also what are your kids doing? Do you have a lot of multi-sport kids? Do you have a lot of kids that play one sport? Like do you have one dominant sport in your school that everybody plays and then like other sports that you can't even get kids on the team? Like, you know, you kind of have to look at your population, but that works pretty good for us. Okay. That, that's you speaking of too much, too little, like, and I think that's in our conversation that's we had, like, I think, I think one of the big pushes the past couple of years is to do in theory or in, in, ideal practice if you have enough room you don't have to split your kids up to say like this these kids are say in the the gym doing the te run testing while these kids are in the yeah. weight room. if you if you have enough space or if you don't yeah. what do you try how do you try to order it because like i know part of the theory is that there's been a lot of push to do the running and jumping stuff before you do the primary lifts and then auxiliary lifts how do you try to structure a given day as you program <clears throat> in what order yeah, so we're always going to start with high velocity movements. So that's like our sprinting and jumping. And the reasoning because for that is because high velocity is much more susceptible to fatigue. So if you are highly fatigued through maybe just stress or maybe it's just, you know, you being tired, a kid doesn't get sleep, that is going to affect their velocity much more than something slower like a squat, like more of a higher force um, kind, of, kind of movement. So like if we're looking at what is going to be the best way to get the best result every time you're better off always giving your kids higher velocity movements early in a session. So the way I'll do it is my kids will come in and we'll dumbbell jump right away. We'll always dumbbell jump. And then we're going to go down and sprint. So we're pretty much potentiating those runs with those dumbbell jumps. Um, and then after we, after we sprint, like I said, we'll run, you know, however many sprints we have for the day. And then we're going to go up there and lift. And so if you look at it, it's like, um, it basically goes jump, sprint lift that's that's pretty much the order that i go um and i learned this from just i learned this from jumping a lot so if you have kids do standing verts every day if you have kids do dumbbell jumps every day you're going to start picking up on trends and so i this trend i found was that my dumbbell jumps were consistent my kids were always right where their average was at or above like we were constantly you know right where we should be or beating out our previous pr um, like I said, I don't know if I mentioned this, I get about an inch and a half out of a jump every single month or every single three or four, four weeks or so. Um, so we, we can drive the verticals up pretty quick. The dumbbell jump, especially are super consistent, right? The standing verts are not always consistent. You might have a kid come in and jump 30 one day, and that might be his best ever. And he might just come in and jump 26 the next and then jump 34. So the, the velocity is so susceptible for, for to fatigue, um, it bounces back and forth all the time. So your dumbbell jumps, like your, your weighted jumps, your slower movements, your squats, those are super consistent. Those those high velocity movements are not very consistent. And so I figured that out just through through doing a ton of standing verts and talking to other people that had kind of the same issues. Like, hey, why does this happen? 
Um, so yeah, it came back to velocity is just super susceptible. So we need to have them do it fresh. We can't afford to have them already fatigued on top of what other stuff's going on, going on outside of their life. That, so like I, there, I have several questions just off that one sentence. Yeah. Let's start with, let's start with double jumps. How do you like for, for the moron football coach who has no strength coach because that's that's how i approach everything i like right i approach things in two different facets depending on what i'm talking about i'm either a dumb football coach okay or i'm a, just a business teacher like yeah there's no like that's that's the and i occasionally will hit the third category which is me as a father but that's a whole nother select few things like so as a dumb football coach how do you teach dumbbell jumps is it like Obviously, I think most people know how to jump in general, and I could envision it as more of a squat jump. But again, verbiage, just like in football, one thing can mean one thing for one guy, and one thing could mean for one thing for another guy. So, what do you, when you say dumbbell jump, what do you specifically mean for maybe the football coach who's not familiar with the pilometric and the jumping aspects? Yeah. So the dumbbell jump, what we do is, and this is, this is another conversation for maybe, I don't know, another episode or end of this episode. Um, so a lot of coaches like the trap bar jumps are really popular right now. Um, we dumbbell jump instead. It's a faster movement. Trap bars are usually going to be loaded too heavy. They're going to be too slow. Those dumbbell jumps are going to be faster. So what I mean by dumbbell jump is, is my kids are going to grab dumbbells and I have these waves all written out on specific speeds. Um, actually, my dumbbell jump wave comes from a coach in Georgia named Jared Bidney, Explosive Mechanics. Um, I don't know if I mentioned him on here, but he has the freakiest high school jumpers I've ever seen. Um, he has over 50 kids that have jumped in the 40s. He has multiple uh, Nike Spark Combine, highest jumpers in the country. Um, he builds the best jumpers. So I, get, I got his dumbbell jump wave from him. Uh, me and him talk. He's, he's someone I would consider um, a person I look to about training. And so the way that we kind of set it up is, is our guys will come in and the dumbbell jump is exactly what it sounds like. Our kids are going to hold two dumbbells, dumbbell in each hand. They're going to get on that jump mat. If you're familiar with jump mats and they're going to jump and they're going to have the reader and they're going to step off and look at the reader. And that's their number. Um, the way that I teach the dumbbell jump is pretty much, um, leg drive. So that's a, that's a key, like a, big point is teaching kids about leg drive. So I always say drive the legs and those dumbbells should come right down to your ankles. So when you're squatting down to do the dumbbell jump, make sure they actually like, if you want to get enough leg drive to really like improve your jump, your kids need to actually squat down into the jump. Not like a, you know, ass to grass kind of squat, but like those dumbbells should be right down to your ankles. Um, and you should almost be like sit, standing over it. If that makes sense. If you watch some of my kids jump or you go, go watch Jared's kids jump, um, you'll see what I mean. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's, you know, dumbbells down to the ankles, drive up and then big chest at the top. So when you're coming straight up, big chest all the way up. Um, and really the, the, the big focus is on violent intent. Um, you can't jump slow. Gravity will not let you jump slow. If you're going to, if you're going to break your old PR, if you're going to, if you're going to overcome gravity at a greater rate, you're going to need to drive hard enough to do it. Um, you're going to literally have to force yourself to overcome gravity at a greater rate. Like there will have, there will be kids that, um, don't understand intent and their verticals will get stuck until they understand the intent. Then they blow up. As soon as they understand that you have to jump with aggression and violence, um, those, those jumps fly. So that's pretty much how we approach the dumbbell jump is violent intent. We try to use like small cues, like the leg drive, 
you know, big chest, like, you know, dumbbells to the ankles, that kind of thing, just small cues, but really it's all about just a violent approach to putting force into the ground. That's, that's really what it's all about. Okay. And how many of them do you typically try to do? Like, obviously you're testing that number, but how many, how many reps do they get? Cause like I said, we talked the, the, um, the tens, you're getting three to five reps. How many do you do for the jumps? Yeah. So the way that we kind of program the jumps is always singles. We're never going to jump sub maximally. Every jump should be, should be a maximal jump. Um, it's almost like a sprint. Like you're not going to sprint, you know, if we're trying to get fast. We want to sprint maximally. We're not going to say sprint 60%, you know, so we're going to, we're going to sprint maximally. We're going to jump maximally. So it'll always be singles. Um, and my kids are going to accumulate anywhere from eight to 10 dumbbell jumps in a session. Um, we used to go, we used to go like four dumbbell jumps, four standing verts. I figured out my kids needed more dumbbell jumps than standing verts. So we've kind of pushed the standing verts away on, on the Fridays. We will standing vert on Friday, but the rest of the week we're going to dumbbell jump. And that's about eight to 10 singles max effort. Um, every jump is measured on a jump mat. And so every single jump is going to have good intent. And we'll actually write down like what our best jump of the day was. And I keep track of those averages and their best. Um, so I know where each kid's at. Okay. Now, now with that, and you, you mentioned, okay, we're doing just vertical jumps on Friday. We're doing um, dumbbell jumps, say Monday, Wednesday. Let's just, I, I'm just going to yeah. mental capacity three days a week. Right. How, do you, how do you, so when we're programming, jumping and running, how do we decide what we tie together? Like, I mean, cause I mean, obviously you can do flies, you can do shuttles. There's, there's, 8 million different weight combinations you can put the, the, all these through. How do you decide, like, in terms of speed and acceleration and however you want to break up your days, what to do on each day? Yeah, so I don't really break up the days. So the way that, like, some coach will have acceleration days, like they might do Excel twice a week or once a week, and then they might have, a like, a max V day. I don't break those days up. I'm trying to touch every speed as often as possible as long as, you know, space is available. So like I said, with those runs, we're trying to touch max V every single time we sprint because that's something that we're not getting in the weight room. Whereas like our acceleration work, jumping is acceleration work. Your jumps will build your starts. So that's something that we're already doing so often, which is why I'm moving more towards running at max V more often instead of working starts. Like my kids, I'm sending to camps. I'll work starts with them individually. That's not something in the program. It's like, hey, you're going to a camp two or three weekends from now. Let's start working some starts. Let's kind of clean up some of the mechanical stuff. Um, but like my, my normal, you know, everyday athletes that are just coming in training, they don't have any combines up. They have nothing, no showcases, anything like that. Um, those guys are just going to, they're just going to train. Like we're just going to hit all these speeds as often as possible. Um, like I said, frequent exposures is the key to these young athletes. They need frequent exposure to drive those numbers. If you want freaky numbers, if you want, if you want your high school kids to perform like college athletes, if you want to really develop the best athlete you can, you need frequent exposure. You need these kids to do this stuff off and off. It's just like a football practice. You're not going to have your kids run this, run one play. Like if you're running with whatever your base play is, you're not going to have them run the base play one time and be done. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, it's the same exact thing with um, training. We're not going to have our kids just do the max V sprinting one day a week or, you know, whatever, and be done with it. Like that is like, the bread and butter of the stuff you're doing. So that stuff needs to be hit on uh, all the time. Okay. Um, now, like, let's, let's, uh, before we, we get more in depth into programming, I do want to ask you, because we talked a little bit about last time, and I know you've put out a tweet since we last talked. I think it was like three or four days ago at yeah. this point. Because uh, there's, um, 
some people understand what conjugating is and you and we talked about it a little bit last time on yeah. here but not really in depth like you hit on it that's but like for 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 somebody who doesn't understand it might be too late by the time we get to this but like in just a general version because i know because you, your tweet was probably more general than you could probably set 18 tweets out trying to explain yeah. and your tweet was i mean it got to the point but it's still okay yeah. you want to explain what conjugating is yeah so like a conjugate sequence system a conjugate system essentially what it is 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 that you're you're using all methods of muscular tension every single method that will achieve maximal muscular tension using that within a a week or a month however you cycle your stuff you're using every single method of muscular tension within a system right and so what that turns into is each method so you have the three methods of maximal muscular tension you have max effort or brief maximal tension um, and then you have dynamic effort and you have your repetition effort. So each of those methods, you can achieve muscular tension at the highest rate with each of them. Okay. And so like when we get into talking about conjugate, it's just using those three methods. Those three methods carry out different speeds. So when we're talking like max effort, that's your slow method. That's the method that is slow. You're building a ton of absolute force. You're building strength. You're recruiting the highest amount of motor units in like the smallest bout, right? And your dynamic effort, again, you can achieve maximal tension because you're moving weights at sub-maximal speed. You're putting as much force into that bar or whatever implement you're using for us, like dumbbells, for example. You're putting as much force into those dumbbells to jump high. Um, that that's that will also achieve really high levels of maximal muscular tension. And the third one is repetition method. And that's where you're taking the muscles to near muscular failure. So that's think like um ghrs or think tricep pushdown that's an easy one you're taking the tricep near muscular failure to you know develop soft tissue develop muscle mass however you want to state that so you're using these three methods of maximal mus maximal muscular tension and each method carries out different speeds so when i say it's a rotation of speed it is a rotation of speed because of these methods if that makes sense mm -hmm. so that that's that's pretty much what conjugate is in a nutshell it's not West side. It's not powerlifting specific. The system was actually made for athletes. It was made for track and field athletes to win the Olympics. Um, and so when I'm talking about conjugate, I'm not talking that my kids do West side. Nobody does West side anymore. Louis Simmons is gone. No one's doing West side. Um, you can do variations of what West side was, but there's so many eras of West side. Like you can't, you can't narrow it down to like, Oh, I do max effort. So it's West side. Like so much has changed over the decades at West Side. Um, so yeah, that's 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 pretty much conjugate nutshell. There's so many programs that are conjugate, like triphasic is a conjugate program. The way that you run triphasic, it is conjugate because you are using all methods of muscular tension. Any any strength program, and, and here's the thing: if you're not using a conjugate system, I don't think that you're actually maximizing athletic development. If if you're not lifting heavy weights. Okay. If you're not moving weights fast and you're not taking muscles to near muscular failure for hypertrophy, you're leaving something on the table there. Every single program, whether it's West side or however you want to say it, every single good at strength program should be a conjugate model. Every single strength program should rotate speed. They should all build all these special strengths. Um, it's not just tied to powerlifting. It's not just tied to a specific sport. It is like a holistic approach to athletic development at the highest level. Okay. That's and that, that and that's I mean that that was gonna be part of my question is how much does triphasic go into that? Just because again, I don't pretend to be 
a PhD level or this is not my main, I mean, yeah. it's a big part of what I do, but it, I, I'm also a teacher. So I'm not, yeah. Necessarily yeah. A, and like I said, I'm ha about halfway through tri-visit tr training by Caldeeds. So, um, or they were actually just, I'm just starting to get into the programming aspect of that model. But like speaking of programming, like for the football coach who doesn't have a strength conditioning or for a young strength and conditioning coordinator that might not have a sport. Um, right. Like, cause I mean, I, I talked to um, a coach who just took a job at Missouri Western and I mean, he's been a head strength coach before, but he's got a lot of young guys underneath him and he, he's big on getting interns in his program so they can learn. Um, but he also does mention like he lets them design, do the programming, but he goes through it and fixes everything that's, he either doesn't like or that it that like obviously are errors. Where do you start programming one on one? Like where is your base point? How do you attack that? Um, or where should a coach attack that when they are starting to look at that? Uh, so the way that I program is I program every every three weeks. So like I don't know what my kids are doing next wave because I haven't programmed it yet. I program every single wave within that time period. I'm focused on what's happening right now. Because what happens now is what makes decisions for next month. So I'm not programming months in advance. I'm programming on the fly in a way. I have a layout for the month. And then whatever needs to get changed for next month is how I'm programming. Um, I'm not a fan of writing out long-term programs for six months. I'm not a fan of that. I don't think it works. And if it if it does work, it's not working at the level that it, it could be working at because there needs to be adjustments. Just like It's just like football. You need to have adjustments. You can have the best game plan before a game. What happens when you get punched in the mouth? It's the same thing with training. What happens when your athletes can't do this exercise? Or what happens to your athlete? This is too much. Say this volume is too much or this speed, it's not fast enough. Say the intent isn't there. What do you do? Um, so I need to know exactly where my kids are at so that I can program for the next month because I don't know where they're going to be at in six months. So I can't predict, you know, I can't predict that kind of future training wave. So that's how I kind of like lay out the programming as far as like timeline. Um, where I start with programming is, is my dumbbell jumps. I know that we're going to jump every day. That's something that stays consistent in the year. Um, all year, we're always going to dumbbell jump. And then obviously that wave is, is pretty much set in stone, kind of how I wave those different weights. Um, and then the sprinting, same thing. That's something that I'm going to set out, you know, kind of the month of it's like, okay, what space do we have? What have we not done in a while? What do we need to work on? What stuff is coming up? And then the strength programming, again, like I have, a, I have a exercise library that I can kind of plug stuff in at. Like I know that we're going to use brief maximal tension for our main lift. So that stuff isn't going to change the way that I kind of wave. It might change. Um, we might go, we might go with fives or first or fours first, or we might, you know, go down to doubles or triples. So that stuff might change, but the exercise the kind of the, the method we're using is not changing. So I would say find methods you believe in and then plug those tools in exercises, just tools kind of use those tools to carry out the method. So I know that we're going to use the dynamic effort method every session. We're going to use it in the beginning of every session. Dumbbell jumps are kind of my tool of choice for that. I know that on lower days, we're going to use brief maximal tension. And I know that squatting in some variation is my tool of choice or um, deadlifting also a tool of choice. Same with the bench on the upper body days. I know that we're going to bench in some capacity. I know that's a very, you know, variation. So um, like this wave, we're just doing a regular bench press. Last wave, we pause benched. Um, same thing with this, you know, this lower wave that we're running. Um, we're doing safety squat bar versus bands, the box. 
last wave. It was just a safety squat bar. Um, so constantly having like kind of exercise that you can plug into those methods is extremely helpful. Um, and then like, I'm not big on templates, but we all have them. Like we all have a rough idea of what our kids need to do. Um, but those templates should always be changing. They shouldn't just be the same thing. Um, and I tell coaches this a lot when they ask me like, Hey, you know, what template do you follow? Like, especially for accessory work, that stuff is all based off weakness. That stuff, every single time I'm like, what do my kids need? Right. So like last wave, my kids have really strong posterior chains, but we need more leg drive. Okay. So I programmed in narrow stance belt squats. That's something that we're going to do. That's going to affect, um, that's going to improve our leg drive and build some muscle mass around kind of the thigh area, the quads. Um, so I kind of wanted to take out some of that posterior chain stuff, add in a little bit more interior stuff, like belt squatting, that kind of thing. Um, goblet squatting, um, those things that kind of fix those weak links. So I think that you need to have a rough idea of what your kids need, but also be flexible enough to plug it into your system. And once you develop your system, it becomes easy. Like when you're trying to copy someone else's system, it seems so complex. You don't understand it. Um, I know my system because it's mine. Like I created it. I've taken stuff from other people. It may look similar to other people's, but it's mine. Like it's not anybody else's. The stuff I do is completely like driven by me. Same thing. If you're reading triphasic now, you might read something that, you know, Cal, you know, wrote about, but you're going to turn that into your own thing. It's same thing. If you're getting a new playbook, so you're going to run the wing T you might not be able to run the wing T the way that you wrote the book did, but you're going to come up with your own variations that fit your own situation. It's the same thing with training, find a system, find methods that you believe in, find principles you believe in, and then work it to your situation, work it to the best of your knowledge and continue to be adaptable and be flexible because what, something that works now may not work in the future and vice versa. You might come back to something that works even better. Um, like for example, some that didn't work good when I first got to the, when I first got to my school uh, was bands. Bands did not work well. The kids did not understand intent. Um, when we first started using bands, you know, they, they didn't understand that the bands were going to get harder as they went up. They just have never used them before. The intent just was not there. Now I put bands on my middle school kids and they thrive. Like we are ripping squats Like we are very explosive and it just took some time. Something that didn't work before works now. Okay. Now building off that, like here, here's the question I always have. And, and for, for the athlete that you haven't seen in a while, whether it's returning from injury, it's they've been gone as sport vacation, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, and you're say you're in the middle of your three week cycle. Yeah, you're in that you've planned out. Where do you put them at? Do you put them just immediately where they're where you're at? Do you make them go? Do you like combine some prior things? How do you address programming and that kid that's returning for whatever reason it is? Yeah. So the way that we program, the way that I program, it's very convenient. If like I plan for kids not to show up, like I know there'll be kids that will drop off for a week or two, come back. They're going to jump right in with the kids that I have now, because here's the thing is that the reps and the sets and the exercises are general. The specifics are the weights and the velocities that I program for every kid. So like, for example, if I have a kid that hasn't showed up in a while, say he squatted last month, say he hasn't been here in three weeks and he's coming back to squat. I'm not going to look at his workout from three, you know, I'll, I'll look at his workout from a month ago, but I'm going to pull that back. You know, whereas I have a kid that squatted on Tuesday and it's Friday, I'm going to look back at Tuesday and be like, okay, what did this kid squat? What do we need him to do today? What speeds do we see have to touch? You know, how did his sets go? How is he feeling? That kind of thing. So 
having a training program that is kind of general to the athlete, but then specific to each kid is super important. Um, For example, if it's a kid that's injured, say a kid comes off an injury, that kid should be training with me regardless because I, I have this... I have the means to be able to work on the injury. We have a lot of specialty machines. I'm, I'm hooked up at the school I'm at. We have the means to accommodate to every single kid in that building. That kid shouldn't miss training and jump. But if he does, again, I can say he comes back with a shoulder injury and he's not ready to put a barbell on his back. We're going to put him on the belt squat. Um, that's something that I can change in the fly. It's not something I have to write out and be like, hey, you know, this kid's doing this, this kid's doing this. That's something like, hey, coach, you know, my shoulder's still bothering me. Okay, let's belt squat, same rep scheme. Let's hop on the belt squat and let's go. Um, so kind of, I think that might just be an experience thing, just kind of work in your system for a long enough time. You know where you can kind of move kids around at. You know it will work for them, it won't work for them. Say I have a kid that comes in that isn't strong enough to use bands yet. I might just have him just take the bands off. Like it's, it's, it's really simple. It's not something that you have to be super complex about. Um, if you know what's going on within your program, uh, that might be something that sounds scary to like a new strength coach. Like, Oh, it's not all planned out. It's not perfectly organized. Um, uh-huh. That's something that I think just comes with the, just the experience. eye of just knowing what needs to happen. Okay. Like I said, I'm just always curious about because he's, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously that kid's not been there in a month. Yeah. And they can't just jump in and go, Hey, we're doing, I don't know, say 75, 85, 95% that day. Yeah. As a yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're using percentages, no doubt you're going to have to adjust some stuff. I don't use percentages, so I don't have to worry about any of that. Everything is relative. Everything is relative to what that kid needs. So whether a kid benches 300 pounds or he benches hundred pounds, it's all relative and specific to them. It's not like, Hey, you're using 75% day, no matter what, like we don't use any percentages. Um, it's all, it's all based on the day of in the last workout. I always look at a workout back. What do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think, I mean, that's an interesting program compared to say percentages. I think by default, a lot of, especially high school coaches use percentages just because it's yeah. easy. Like, let's be honest, from a time oh, yeah. standpoint, like if, a te- if that coach teaches four or five periods in a day at minimum, may- maybe up to seven, and then they also got to program their weight for the week. Like, I mean, do you want to talk about the theory and that programming of what's relative and what's percentage? Yeah. So as far as percentages go, here's the thing about percentages is percentages are an estimate of speed. So when you lift 80%, we know 80% is going to be like somewhere in the ballpark of like 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 meters per second, maybe 0. 0.6 if you're getting slow. It's all just an estimate of speed. That's all this stuff is. The percentages are just a guideline. Um, I don't like percentages because I think, A, I think it's kind of a lazy approach to training. I think if you're just sticking kids with percentages, good luck. Um, Kids lift different percentages at different speeds all the time. Like, I have kids that are super explosive that can only tolerate having a few sets at a certain way before they have to drop. And then I have some kids that are just like grinders that can do the same weight or more weight for all their reps and all their sets. So it's like one of those things on every individual basis, I have to know what's going on. I have to understand the kid. Um, If I just stuck everyone on the same percentages, my kids would not be nearly as strong. We would not have the buy-in in my opinion. Um, The kids trust and believe what I tell them to do. If they were just stuck on percentages, I don't think they would trust, hey, you know, coach said that I'm about to wrap my four rep, you know, my one rep max for four sets today. And they wouldn't believe me, but because I, it's because it's not a percentage, because it's, it's not 100%, it's, hey, this is what you did last time, let's add five pounds, and boom, that's, oh, it looks like you're one rep max from, you know, last month, 
it's it just changes kind of their perspective on things as well. Um, another thing I found with kind of a problem with percentages is, is if you have high school athletes or really any untrained athletes that are young, they are very adaptable to training. So they might add 50 pounds to a squat in three weeks. That happens all the time. I just had a kid come back from wrestling. He went from a 285 pound squat on a straight bar to a 440 squat, a safety bar in four weeks. If I put him on percentages, that, that looks bad. I mean, that, that truly looks bad. That, that kid would never have touched that 440 if he was stuck with 285 and says one or a max, you know what I mean? It would have never worked. Um, so being able to kind of get unattached from a percentage and just look at, okay, what's actually happening in a workout? And that's not, let's guess what's happening. Let's actually pick the legit numbers that the kid's supposed to be doing. I also found that with multi-sport kids, if you try to attach them percentages, their daily readiness is changing all the time. They might have a really hard practice or a really hard game, and they might not be able to do those percentages you set out, or they might have a really, really good day or their game, they just blew out a team. They didn't have to play much. They sat in the bench most of the game and they're ready to go. And this is the time to push like this, this time where they are feeling really, really good. Or so you have a, you're on your schedule, you have a three, three stretch game. You know, you have three games in a row that, you know, you're just going to like, you're going to beat them down pretty bad and your best players are not going to have to play much. That's the time to push them. It's not the time to pull back on, on training. That's the time to push them a little bit more than they're usually getting pushed and then pull them back for those, you know, more competitive games, if that makes sense. Um, so the daily readiness, it's, it's everything. Like if you try to just tie kids down to something, it'll never work. And if you train yourself, if you're like a lifter yourself, you'll figure out really quick that stuff you write down might not always work out. It's better to have an idea and have a plan going in, but also being able to deviate from that. If you tie a bunch of kids into percentages, um, it's, it's not going to work in the way that you think. Um, also, I found that with percentages, like the thing is, is that if you're trying to progress like percentages, I think it makes the programming like almost too complicated in a way. Uh, if you get caught up in percentages, say you go like 75% one day and then the next week you're supposed to go 80 or whatever. Um, then it constantly puts you on like a path of, okay, I got to keep going up. My kids aren't getting better. Whereas if you can just look at the direct weights, I think it makes training a lot easier to kind of manipulate over the long term. I think it's harder to manipulate when you're locked in like a percentage wave. Okay. I said, I, I, again, like I said, I think part of the reason a lot of coaches use it is just because it's, it's easy. Yeah. It's just, it just, from it's, it's really a time constraint issue. Like yeah. that's really, it's that opportunity cost. From a business yep. technology standpoint, what do I have time for? What don't I have time for? Right. Uh, and I mean, if you're a PE teacher and you have strength training as your classes, it kind of makes it easier. You can yeah. easier to do that. Because, yeah, absolutely. Um, whereas if you're not, it kind of makes it a little bit more difficult in, in a sense. But right. how do you like, I mean, going a little bit more specific into it, because you hit the percentage thing pretty much a lot there. How do you determine relative wise okay, how we're going to approach this. Is it, is it a lot of it based off feel for that kid for the day? Is it, okay, here's the bare minimum that I want you to try for. If you're feeling good, go above that. How do you have, how do you teach that part to them? Cause I think kids also enjoy percentages to a point too, just because, okay, I know I got to go here. There isn't any doubt. Yeah. How do you approach teaching that and deciding that and tell teaching your kids how to decide that? Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things that's kind of a mix of both. Right. So I will pick their weights. I'll tell them, you know, when they come in and say this, I'll ask them, say, Hey, how are you feeling? You know, here's what, here's what you did last session. Here's kind of what we're looking for today. 
Um, you know, I'll walk around, I'll watch their sets. They'll kind of report back to me. It's, it's based off not only their feeling, but also the way that they're moving the bar. They're moving it really fast. I know they have more, and this is just an experienced eye thing. If you've watched a lot of kids lift weights and you know that kid, you know how that kid lifts weights, if you're observant, um, if you take your job seriously, you're going to know. Um, if you're like a, just a part-time strength coach that just kind of like pops in and just does whatever, you won't know. But if you take it seriously and you watch every kid and you're very observant of what's going on, you're going to be able to know um, how to pick those weights, how to kind of snake those kids around in their different weights. Um, so the way that I kind of teach those to my kids is obviously them just observing me. So they'll ask me, be like, hey, coach, why, you know, how did you pick this or why did you pick this? Or, hey, coach, you know, they'll start to catch on to kind of my tendencies of how I wave them. And then they'll be able to start, hey, you know, coach, I was thinking about doing this today. What do you think? Is that a good weight for me? Or, hey, coach, when should I drop or should I drop it all? Um, so the kids just start learning based off watching me do it. Like I, I, I do it right in front of them and they start to learn. Um, obviously, I'm still always in control of kind of what they're doing. Um, but my more experienced athletes, like I'll be like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Do you think you should jump? And I'll kind of ask for their opinion, too, because I'd like to know, um, especially if they've already beat what their bare minimum was for the day was. Like if I knew they had to hit 190, for example, say they did 180 on this day and they had to do 190, this, this is the bare minimum. Say they've already done, say they've already beaten their best, like say they benched 180 for three sets of their five. They bench 190 for their three sets of five already and it's feeling good. I'll ask them like, Hey, what do you think? You know, 195, 200, 205, we'll just jump them like that. So having that kind of communication between athletes is super important for you to kind of know how to pick those weights. Um, but also your kids are smart, man. Like kids catch on, kids pay attention. They're not dumb. They're going to figure this stuff out, especially if they care, they will figure this stuff out. They're going to, they're going to watch exactly how you do stuff and they're going to want to learn because they want to know how to do it themselves. They want to be able to help other kids do it. And I take a lot of pride in knowing that my kids can teach other kids how to do it. My kids can help other kids. My kids are independent in the weight room. They don't need me over them all the time. They know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and I'm also, I'm always around. I'm always, you know, looking at weights. Hey, you should be doing this. You should be doing that, that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. Now, I mean, speaking of that, like, I know that's when, when, how do you have them warm? Like when you're looking at box squat, bench press, um, deadlift, power clean, what, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm reading triphasic right now. So this is why this yeah. question came up to my mind. And triphasic is really big on warming up properly, um, at least the part I'm on right now, um, and make sure that your body's warmed up. How do you approach warm-up sets with your kids and the number and so forth? Yeah, so I think the best way to just try to describe it is to like give you an example. So like if I have a kid benching, I don't know, 225 for his five by five for the day, you know, that, that kid's first, you know, warm-up set, it might just be the bar, then we might go to 135. I'll never give them more than five reps in a warm-up because we're never actually going to lift over five reps in a working set. So it might look like this, 135 for five, 185 for three, 205 for three, or maybe a single, and then we hop right in the 225. So like, I'm going to give them anywhere between your house draw there. If I have a 300-pound bencher, Obviously, it's going to be more jump sets. It's going to be more warm-up sets. It might be 135 for five again, you know, 185 for five, 225 for three, 245 for a single, 280 for a single, and then 300 for their first working set. Um, so I'm never going to go over five, and I'll usually try to give them singles depending on how strong they are. If they're strong, I'm not going to have them do 240 for triples. You know, if they got a bench set 275, it'll be a single. My weaker kids say they bench, you know, say they got to bench 135 today. I might give them a little bit more volume on those warm up sets so they can accumulate more since they're just not doing as much weight and they're already like 
if I gave them just singles for like 95 pounds, they're just not accumulating enough. <clears throat> so I can see like warm-up sets is kind of a way to accumulate volume. Um, but my stronger kids are just going to get a little bit less work because they have more work to do in their working sets rather than a weaker kid um, <clears throat> has in their working sets. It's the tonnage is different. Okay. That, that question, question, I mean, one of my last questions for you for tonight is, all right, so I think Monday, Wednesday, Friday programming is pretty easy. Or do you, like, I think I think when you look, like, I just, I look at a three-day day model just because of schedules and a lot of things. Yeah. I, my question for you, though, is, okay, when you hit summer and you have to go, say, like, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, where you have back-to-back days. Um, because maybe you have a bunch of kids, you know, won't be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, cause they have baseball or, yeah. or I don't schedule it because of that aspect. Like I know I'll, half my weight room is going to be empty at a small school because yeah. we have a bunch of kids that are in baseball. How yeah. do you program it when there's back-to-back days? That's my question. Like, Yeah, we, uh, we run an upper lower wave or upper lower split. Um, so the way it kind of works out is like, Say if you have like a Monday, Wednesday, uh, Thursday or something like that, you have those back-to-back days. Mondays are lower. Wednesday doesn't get affected because it's an upper. And then Thursday, you still have enough rest in between to run a normal lower day. So the way that I, that's part of the reason I like the upper lowers, you always are going to have like 72 hours of rest in between. So you're never going to have conflicting sessions. Your sessions are always going to kind of like <clears throat> benefit and like progress off the next. You're never going to have to worry about conflicting. Um, that's one of the big benefits of running an upper lower split. and just makes it super simple to lay out in a week. Um, if you have like a full body split, say you're like training stuff more frequently, say you're doing like a, you know, upper lift, lower lift, total, like that kind of thing. Um, then you're probably going to have to pull back on whatever was super intense the previous workout. So say squatting was your main emphasis for the day, that back-to-back day, you should be pressing. That should be your main emphasis. You should just pull back on the thing you just did. So say you back squatted on Tuesday or Wednesday, say you back squat on Wednesday, and then you're going to, you want to, you know, you do a full body and you want to do full body on Thursday. You're going to make bench or your overhead press or something like that, your main emphasis. And then you might put them on the belt squat for the next day, or you might, um, you might do a goblet squat. Sometimes it's just going to be less taxing on them overall because they just squatted the previous day, or you might not even squat them. You might just load up on posterior chain, stuff you might traction them um, with dragon sleds versus hypers that kind of thing um so you just you never want to conflict because here's the thing you can only you can only get as strong as what you can recover from okay so obviously we're we're stressing the body in the gym the body needs time to overcome that stress and adapt if we are constantly stress 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 your your kids are never going to get the adaptations you want so i would rather take it light on a day and not risk, you know, kind of messing up that previous session. I would almost rather just re- like, you know, pull back on that session rather than just try to hammer them a second time. I mean, kids are really resilient. They're really, they're able to adapt quickly, but you also have to understand that these kids' lives are not set up perfectly. These kids are staying up till 1 a.m. They're eating junk food. They're not getting enough protein in their diet. They're not drinking enough fluids. Um, their stress might be super high if they have a rough home life their stress might be super low. I mean, they, you just, you don't know what's going on in that kid's life. It's always better to do a little bit less than do more um, at the high school level, especially because you just have so little control of those outside factors. Yep. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's, I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like some kids might not have slept the night before. And that's why I mean, you need to be able to adjust kind of like, as we've talked about tonight. Yeah. Lift accordingly. 
Um, but again, like I said, unfortunately, like in a perfect world during the summer, you're Monday, let's say Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. World. But again, when you have, say, a lot of kids doing summer baseball or summer AAU basketball, and you know you're not going to have a bunch of kids on Friday, it, you might have to go Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. Um, and that's always, do you go like full body that one single day? And then go up or lower. Say say you go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Like go Monday upper, Tuesday lower, Thursday full body. Or like I mean, again, there's 18, 18 million ways to skin a cat. Just it's always yeah. you get an interesting perspective on how to approach that. Right. Um, yeah. So that's I mean that's just curious. Um, is there anything like because again I don't pretend to be a rocket scientist. Anything that I didn't mention programming wise that you want to recommend to people. Or, um, as far as like reading goes, uh, just in general, like thoughts on programming that you think are common mistakes, anything that we didn't hit on, um, mm-hmm. or in, in reading suggestions, like hold on the reading suggestions. That'll be our last question. Yeah. But like just any general thoughts, any mistakes you come and see, or any questions you might answer a lot. Like so you might get message questions all the time and say, Hey, that way they don't have to yeah. send you that message that you've gotten. Yeah. 45th time. Right. Um, I'd say the first thing that people mess up on in training is giving too many reps. Uh, I constantly am harping on this, uh, like one to six range, three to five being majority of what my kids are touching. Um, I'm not a fan of those three by 10 programs. I'm also not a fan of the popular right now, popular those one by 20 programs. I don't think they're great. I'm not a fan of them. Um, I know they have a lot of popularity and, you know, people like them cause they're convenient and they're easy. Um, I don't see the transfer in those higher rep ranges. Not only does it beat your athlete down more because there's much more work being done. Um, you're also not getting those, those type two fibers being trained at the level you need to be trained. Um, I posted a graphic the other day of the Henneman science principle the size principle basically states uh, those, those, those motor units are going to be called upon. If you if you want to call upon motor units to rip, to tear apart those type two fibers. You want to recruit type two fibers. You're going to have to train in lower rep ranges. Right. And so those motor units are going to be recruited from, um, uh, from the smallest to largest. So the way that you want to approach training is that you want to have them do lower rep ranges, heavier weights to try to recruit more type two fibers. So you can have those transfer over, uh, to your sprinting and jumping, which is type two fiber dominant. So if you're trying to do tens and fifteens and twenties, you're just, you're basically detraining force. Like you're, you're, you're literally hindering force development and uh, in science and practice of strength training, another book that I recommend people to read, um, it states over six reps, you will begin to uh, hinder long-term force development, which is the last thing you want to do, because especially to these high school kids that are already weak. Like they already have access to such little amount of force, which is why they're slow and why they're weak, why they don't jump as high as NFL players. They just don't have as much force access to force. So we never want to hinder that. Um, the rep range stuff is a big, big thing. Um, another thing I always get asked on is um, is brief maximal tension. Uh, I think that's a, I think it's a confusing thing for people because they think brief maximal tension is one RMs. That is max effort. Brief maximal tension is three to five rep maxes, um, eighty five to one hundred percent. That is what my kids do all the time. We're constantly doing sets of threes, fours, or fives. Um, if you had a tire percentage to it, it would be eighty five to one hundred percent. But like I said. I have kids in a wave that are repping over 100% of their one or max. So if I have percentages, it wouldn't be brief maximal tension anymore. Um, so we're using brief maximal tension four days a week. And like I said, with as far as like waving that goes, um, I'm going to wave them between threes, fours, and fives. 
Uh, that's something I get questions on a lot. Like, how are you using that? That's exactly how I use it. I, I snake their weights between those threes, fours, and fives. I'm always trying to get five more pounds, 10 more pounds. I'm always trying to get an extra rep or another set done. It's just, it's constant progressive overload at really high, really high intensities. Um, that's pretty much how I'm using brief maximal tension. Um, another, another program mistake I see is, uh, is the Olympic lifts. I think for high school kids, I think the, the risk to benefit ratio is just not there. Um, not that they're unsafe. It can be unsafe, especially in like large, you know, rooms that don't have as much space and there's a lot of barbells going on. They can be unsafe. Um, but the effects that you're getting from them are not what you think you're getting from them. A lot of people think you're cleaning to get faster. You're cleaning to get more explosive. There's nothing more explosive than a jump. You're never going to out clean your jump. It's never going to be faster than your jump. Um, it's also not going to be as slow as a squat. So it's not going to develop that absolute force that you want out of it. Um, I just don't see a lot of, a lot of reason to ever use Olympic lifts, especially at the high school level, even even more so anywhere else. Like there's just not a lot of application for them for athletes, for field sport athletes. I don't see the, I don't see the benefits of them. They're just too slow. The same thing with the trap bar jumps. The trap bar jumps are so emphasized right now. And this is a tangent I could talk about all day is these trap bar jumps. People are loading them way too heavy. You guys should not be loading your trap bar jumps with 50% of your max squat or whatever. Like they're too slow. Your kids have to have enough displacement from the ground. You're not creating enough force because it's so slow. Um, if you're trying to have that transfer to a high velocity movement and you're jumping off the ground two inches, you're not, you're not going to have that transfer. It's just a too slow of a movement. That's why those dumbbell jumps are so key is because they allow you to, to jump extremely fast, which I think I mentioned in the last episode, I'm not sure since it's been a few weeks, your jumps should be um, over like 1.6 meters per second. Um, they need to be faster. Those cleans are just, are, are too, they're too slow to be fast and they're too, too fast to be strong. So I think that's a big a big thing that people should get away from, to be honest with you. Like, I, I don't, I think there's good coaches out there that teach them. I think that I just, I don't see what they're getting out of them comparatively to like a way to jump or just a squat. Um, if you look at like jump lists, clean lists never correlate to your jump list. Um, and for good reason, they're just not the same speeds. So I, I would say that's another big mistake is, uh, is trying to overemphasize the cleans. And on top of that, you got to teach them. If you want kids to actually do them correctly, you're going to have to teach them. And then that training economy is, okay, are we getting adaptations or are we teaching stuff? Because the teaching should be on the football field. That should be in the basketball court. That's where we should be developing skills at. Let's not develop a bunch of, like, you know, complex skills in the weight room. Like Olympic lifters had to start lifting weights, start doing these Olympic lifts from like three years old in other countries. Um, you don't need to do it that long. Your kids don't have enough time to really learn how to do them at a high level. Um, I would totally just opt for weighted jumps if it was me. So I think, I think that's about it. Like as far as things that I see, um, I'm constantly like getting new questions all the time. So I'll probably have, have more at another time. That's just something that I always get questions about as far as like, Hey, where do you fit your cleans and snatches and that type of stuff? At? And we don't do them. Yeah, I get it. Now, now, now the last question, cause like I said, we, I told you to pause on it. From the programming perspective, do you have any book recommendations on what to hit, maybe what to look at? Um, or just other resources just in general? Like, I mean, obviously there's a, a million ways to skin a cat, but like, from your opinion, what have been good resources that you've kind of pulled from? Yeah, science and practice of strength training is a huge one. I actually just shared, uh, I shared a, a tweet about that recently, like tonight. Um, that's a really, really good one. That that covers everything, man. If you're looking at 
what is the best way to develop strength, muscular hypertrophy, endurance. That book has it all. I mean, from anything from training males to training females, like, is there any differences, that kind of thing. Um, that book has it all. Super training also another, it's a hard read, but it's something that you should definitely look into if you're serious about strength and conditioning. Um, Conjugate U, I think I've mentioned that before. Nate Harvey is great. Jared Bidney, Explosive Mechanics, has a jump book that is awesome. Um, you know, those are just things that I kind of frequent. Obviously, there's art, there's great articles out there written by some really smart people. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the books that I, I constantly reference, especially Science Practice Strength Training. That's one that I'm always looking at. I'm always finding stuff about. So that's probably, probably a big recommendation, especially if you're like an exercise science major or something like that. Okay, perfect. Well, coaches, uh, um, give them a follow on Twitter. Um, like I said, it'll be in the bio as normal. But I think um, if you if you view this from Facebook or Twitter, it'll be in that little thing as well. Um, so go ahead and um, give him a follow there. Like I said, it's a wealth of knowledge to follow him on Twitter. Um, like I said, I, I mean, our first interview, I pulled, I think, 80% of my questions just off like 10 days worth of tweets. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, like I said, that's part of the reason why I asked. I, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about conjugate last time. But that's part of the reason why we talked about it again today. You tweeted about it like three days ago. Um, yep. So like, again, he's an, and, and like, it's always good stuff to follow. Um, and, and if you love box squats, you will also see a, a lot of box squatting, which is good. Cause I enjoy some box squatting. Um like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz so people can find this, um, whether it's just the audio version or the video and audio versions, whatever. Um, check out our sponsor, Coach Pad. Um, otherwise, that's another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. <laughs>